Welcome, neighbor, to Folk U Radio, Folk University's talk show, taking old school viral. I'm your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie. It's embarrassing all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Hello, neighbor. And welcome to Folk U Radio 101 show, where we ask our neighbors, what do you know? It's that time of year when the light is short and the natural world around us is in its big rest, preparing for transformation. I feel particularly appreciative to be spending this season in this strange and tumultuous time here on this island, surrounded by the natural world and by this community. I would like to take a moment to honor this place and this season, and I invite you to do the same wherever you are listening from. I'd also like to recognize that this land has been home to many before us and is part of the unceded territory of the Kalahus, Slyaman, and Hamalco peoples. Thanks to this land and to all those who are part of looking after these places we call home now. So today, I am quite excited for our show, which is on natural burial and community-led death care. As I've gotten to know Margaret, one of our uh, guests today, I have seen the incredible role that she is playing in this community as one of the the director facilitators of the Cortez Island Death Care Initiative and in her experience as a death doula. I've begun to not just think more about death, but also to begin... Uh, having these difficult discussions with people in my life. What's going to happen with my young children if I were to die today? What is it that my parents want in their deaths? With COVID, I worry about my parents often now. They're separated me from me by a border. And so these, cha- these conversations have gotten both more challenging and more pertinent. What are the expectations for our bodies when we are done with them, for the care and keeping of our spirits, and for those around us? I've also begun to think about all these, maybe I'm going to call them micro-deaths, but all these moments, these experiences or ways in our life where we can choose to practice having more graceful endings. I've been thinking about this so much right now, whether it's the ending of a radio show, it, when someone uh, leaves your home, not that anybody comes or leaves anymore, but you know these small goodbyes, when it's time to step down from something that you have volunteered for, when it's time to end a project that you've cared about, all these little passages, these little deaths that I realize that my, I myself have very little practice in. And I have come to really honor and recognize the role of Margaret Verscher, who's our special guest today, in helping me to witness these moments a little bit better. Not something I'm particularly great at. I'm quite attached to doing. So, but I am, I am practicing and I'm trying because of this neighbor and her influence in my life. So these are big learnings. I'm really grateful to be undertaking them and to be undertaking them with you neighbor today. So 
thank you uh, for listening, and thank you, Margaret, for being in studio with us today to begin this conversation. Uh, later, we'll also be joined by another member of the of the cooperative, um, uh, Emma T.S., but right now, Margaret is here with us. Thank you for being here. Oh, and thank you, Amanda, for having me here. It's uh, lovely to be in the studio with you. And I'm feeling indebted to Folk University in which you've brought to the island, uh, especially when we could gather to have a place that we could gather regularly in, to have a format, uh, a way that people could present what they wanted to share with the community in, a, in an easy way. And, and I remember a creator circle that you initiated that was really pivotal in um, in helping bring community-led death care really to Cortez Island. So thank you for that. And yeah, there is, um, you, you know, we think of death as a event that happens at the end of our lives. But as you said, Manda, there are deaths, you know, every night when we go to sleep, we're dying to the day and waking up to a new one. Having said that, um, we're talking about the bigger death, the, the end of life, and that can be a really challenging topic. It can bring up, you know, some really difficult feelings for people. There's a lot of grief around it, and and in our culture, what we're told is that we're death illiterate and grief illiterate. I'm, I've been raised in this culture, and it's hard to see our own blind spots, but as I see how other places navigate death, how other places deal with death, I start to understand that the way we do it in North America is unusual. And what we call alternative here is not alternative in other places. It's the norm. So if any of the listeners are, are navigating a death right now or, or you have a loved one that's died that, that weighs heavy on your heart, um, I'm sorry. And, and hopefully you can get something of value out of this radio show. But really, it's best to talk about these things when we're healthy and when death isn't staring us in the face. And, and like Manda said, to start experiencing death in our daily lives. I like that way that you speak about it. Um, so, Margaret, can you tell us a little bit more about your own story and how you got interested in helping others with death and with this particular time? There was a time, oh, going back more than 20 years, that uh, here on Cortez Island, Peggy Lantain, she's now Peggy Kirk, buried her husband, Roger, and Peggy asked my partner at the time, can you, can you build a box for him? And uh, he said, I've never built a casket before. And she's like, well, surely you can like put together a box. So he did. And her kids came and they decorated it with sidewalk chalk. She put it in the back of her um, 1957 Chevy Nomad station wagon, drove to the Comox Hospital and asked the staff there if they could please put her husband's body in this box, which they did. She drove it back to Cortez and a grave had been dug in the Whaletown Cemetery. The casket uh, was carried over there, or the box, <laughs> lowered with ropes and words were spoken, nothing official. Very simple that way. 
also very real and honest. And some of the people had brought shovels, and these were passed around, and the grave was was filled. I had no idea that this was allowed. And it was a such a simple way of doing it, but so connecting, so real. Um, it, it really honored the, the death itself. I think a lot of our practices actually separate us from the death experience or the death event, and this one didn't. So that stayed in the back of my mind. My father died in 2009, and his death introduced me into a world that uh, I hadn't known existed previously. He had a stroke. He died about three weeks later, and I watched as my reserved, um, upright, strong 81-year-old father just lost his inhibitions. He, he basically lost everything that first week, even his ability to remember who I was but somehow he he remembered that he loved me and it was actually quite beautiful to see all these layers dropping away until it was just his essence that was left and I I sat beside his bedside at night and I would write poetry and, and one line that I wrote still stands out and it's I have never seen love naked before that experience um, in 2009 got me on the into the field of, of death and dying, and I'm I'm grateful to my father for that. It's, I feel like I'm tearing up on, on the radio, but you can't see me, so it's okay. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about this idea of death illiteracy and grief illiteracy, like what those mean and what their opposites look like? It's something that I'm still learning about myself. I know, you know, since 2009, I have been in this field of of death and dying. And as I talk about it, have conversations with people, as I am with people in their grief, I've I've had my own um, suffering and grief as well. I've had an a counselor that uh, has just helped me immensely with that. Perhaps maybe that's one of the answers is is we need help. Um, this isn't something that we've necessarily learned. Maybe this is knowledge that has been lost as we disconnect so much from the natural cycles of nature and of life. So it's something that I'm hopefully coming out of and helping other people with, but uh, probably I'm still pretty death illiterate and grief illiterate myself. I think back to um, when I had young kids and how they talk about uh, breastfeeding as one of, as you know both one of the most natural things, but also something that most women don't just naturally take to. It's difficult if you the first time if you it's not like we were raised with seeing a bunch of sort of the struggle and the the pain and what you do with and how you do it. And so I I like this idea of thinking about these things as as 
being illiterate or literate or as a practice, as something that is both natural and that we maybe are not going to just get on our own, that we can't just expect that we, some people know how to do it. And that removes maybe a layer of this shame that the, even the best of us have, right? That we're supposed to know how to do it, but we don't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think of how much birth has changed over the last maybe 20 years and how hard midwives have worked to bring birth into the, rather than being a medical procedure as a natural process of life that uh, can certainly be supported, but also to honor, really honor that, the fact that it is natural, that it happens on its own timing, that there are many right ways to birth a baby, to bring a baby into the world. And that is hard and it needs to be supported. And I think the same change is happening with death now. People are wanting and and working towards seeing it not just as a medical event, um, but also as as a process, death as a process that doesn't just happen to us, but one that we participate in. And we as the person dying, but also as, as a family losing a loved one, it's, it's, it's being brought back into the homes, back into kind of the ordinary everyday life of, of us as humans. And I, I really um, thank a lot of people who have pioneered in that. I think we've all know that you know, there's so many more talk shows on the radio. There's so many much more information around death and dying that there, than there used to be. And um, those changes haven't been easy and we get to benefit from them. Well, so this is a perfect segue into at least defining the top the topic today. Um, so we have two words just in the title, uh, natural burial and community led death care, that I think are um, worth describing or worth giving a little bit more detail on. Um, so what is or how are you using community led death care and natural burial? Yeah, thanks, Vanda. That's a really good question because uh, there's so many words out there and they really, some of them are new words and they really need definition. I'm going to back up just even a little bit further than those um, those words. But um, so for a time I worked in a funeral home. I I gave a series of, or I facilitated a series of talks on end-of-life planning. There was also a man that came to Quadra Island and gave a talk on death and dying. I don't even remember his topic. His name was Dale Presley. At the time, uh, Joyce Baker invited him into her home, and he gave another presentation, the home of, of Joyce and Ray Grigg. And that began the Way to Go group on Quadra Island. I'm guessing that was like five years ago. And they would meet monthly, um, except for in the summer. This um, group also started on Cortez more recently, maybe maybe two years ago, called the Cortez Death Caring Collective on Cortez. And in both groups, the intention is to, to have conversations about death and dying with the understanding that it's not something you easily bring up at the supper table. It's just not something easily talked about. Also that we need to learn more. So 
every month there would be a speaker with a certain topic, for example, um, organ donation. Um, Bruce Ellington, Bruce Elling, Ellingson, sorry, came and spoke on Cortez about made medical assistance in dying. We've had talks on natural burials. And the other intention of the groups as it evolved was to take what we've learned into our communities. So the talk on natural burials um, became something that a subcommittee was formed on Quadra Island, and we started working on Quadra to create a natural burial section in the cemetery there. And uh, we are working on that on Cortez as well. So that brings us to the question, what is a natural burial? When I described um, Roger's burial, Peggy's husband, certainly that was very natural. This is taking it even a step further to a natural burial cemetery. So in a natural burial cemetery, a body is returned to the earth as simply as possible where it contributes to new life. Often the forest is cleared to make space for a cemetery, for graves. In a natural burial cemetery, the forest is then invited to come back, to reclaim the land, so that a tree um, may grow on, on my grave. And, and that really resonates with me. Uh, the thought that my body could nourish a tree, could protect a wild space, um, it gives me some comfort. Uh, you know, this earth has given me so much during the course of my life. If I can give my body, which has basically been on loan um, from it, back to it in a way that nourishes it and um, contributes to it, that does give me some comfort. With a natural burial, there's no embalming. Uh, there's a simple biodegradable box, or the body could just be wrapped in a shroud of, of cotton or linen or wool. The graves are normally dug to four feet to encourage decomposition. And instead of individual tombstones, what there is is a communal area or a communal structure that, um, where each person is honored in some way. In the Cumberland Cemetery, there's a big rock with all of the names engraved of the people who have been, the bodies that have been buried in the Natural Burial Cemetery on Denman Island. And they've got a really beautiful cemetery that's worth visiting. It's uh, totally natural. or And the terms natural cemetery, green cemetery, those are used interchangeably. So in Denman, they've got a big cement wall with these lovely plaques to commemorate each person buried in the cemetery there. So it sounds like it is a true alternative that could happen here if it's happening on Denman and Courtney. Is that what you said? Denman and Courtney. and Campbell River has a natural River. burial cemetery. Denman Island, Salt Spring Island just opened very recently their natural burial cemetery. Quadra does have a natural burial cemetery. It's at the south end. It's uh, very new. And once um, 
there are some graves that have been dug and used there, then the board is going to be open to talking about how to commemorate the people that are buried there. On Cortez, we are working toward having natural burial sections in both the Manson's Landing Cemetery and the Whaletown Cemetery. So in the Manson's Landing, if you go there, you'll notice on the not very good with south and north, but from the gate on the right-hand side, along the fence line outside of the fence, you'll see flagging tape marking out 30 feet. And the SCCA has um, agreed in principle, and uh, we've been working with, with Ann Dewar, and that we are proposing will be the natural burial section in the Manson Cemetery. In Whaletown... And so the Whaletown Cemetery, that's at the corner of Carrington Bay Road and Sawmill Roads. It's kind of a little bit further from the roads. It's not something you, you see. It's not like down Cemetery Road like, like in Manson's. Um, Ron Croker has managed an expansion there, so there's quite a substantial area that's been cleared. And we are at the stage now where we're looking at that expansion and seeing that it can be used, it's large enough to be used for natural burials, for conventional burials, and for the burial of cremated remains. What we're um, asking the community for, the Cortez community, is, is if there's a, a landscape designer or an artist of some kind who could work um, with us and with the WCC to design that cemetery and you know cemeteries are around for a very very long time in an aesthetically pleasing manner so that so that it's not just a row of this and a row of that but designed to maybe look like a park so you know a tree growing from a natural burial grave in the middle of the cemetery might really enhance the conventional um, graves as well so I think it could be made into a really beautiful space by a person who has that sort of um, mindset there's going to be something coming out in Tideline regarding that as well just really asking for community input both cemeteries looking for community input in what kind of structure we would use to commemorate those that are buried there um, whether it's a you know a gazebo or a little shelter but a place you know a place that is inviting for people to come and sit and remember the loved ones and you know maybe see the trees growing on their graves but um, also very personal to the people who have been buried there that's fantastic so community neighbor there's lots of opportunities for you to help envision and realize uh, these natural cemeteries on Cortez. So what about the next part of it, which is community-led death care? What does that mean? Uh, mm -hmm. And and what, what's happening around that right now? Yeah, thank you. So on Denman, I mentioned that they had this amazing cemetery. They've been so open about people coming and uh, looking at the cemetery, sharing their knowledge. On Quadra last year, we put on, so we being the, the Way to Go group, put on a death education fair and invited the folks from Denman Island to come and share about natural burials. Well, they said, could we have another table at the fair as well? 
And this is where they introduced us, and this is the first I had heard of it, to what they called friends and neighbors and what we are calling community-led death care. So what is it? Um, so many people don't know that here in British Columbia, loved ones can take care of their own at death. They can wash the body, they can dress, they can prepare the body for burial or cremation. They can do the paperwork that's required. Um, ordinary people are allowed to transport the body to the cemetery or the crematorium. We're allowed to build caskets. We can basically do everything that we normally ask funeral homes to do for us. But even knowing what's possible, knowing what, what, what can be done, it's still difficult to know how to do it. And even knowing how, at the time of a, of a death, it's, it can be really challenging to actually carry through those things and to, it really helps to have support. So that's what community-led death care is. It's a group of volunteers who are trained and can assist families to do things themselves, whatever part that, that they have the courage for. So an example, say a person comes home to die or, or they die of an expected cause in the home, the body can stay at home. It doesn't need to leave the island. Loved ones can tend to it. There's ways to keep the body cool. And then family members and friends can visit. They can, kids can come and go in a, in a really familiar environment. And when the time comes, the family can transport the body to the cemetery themselves. They can lower it into the grave. They can refill the grave. And all of these tasks that I've described can be excruciatingly difficult and uh, just take so much courage. But, but they are also very real and very connected to the death event itself. And these can be ways that, that grief can be um, expressed and processed. It gives us really tangible ways to to move through it. Also, you know, when you have a loved one at home and, and they are dying, it, it may be a long process and there are volunteers who can come alongside and support in very practical ways and, and emotional ways to, to really help that family to, to hold space for them to, as you said at the beginning, to really witness and I'm not suggesting that, that this is the, the best way to do things. Um, every family needs to make a choice based on what feels right for them. But until we know what's possible and until we have the support to do these things, uh, it's not really a choice. That's uh, I'm going to take this moment um, to remind people that they're listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio. This is the Folk U Radio Show, and we right now have Margaret Versure with us talking about community-led death care and natural burials. So we're hearing a little bit more about 
the possibility of community-led death care, or I, I really like to use the folk word, so as people know who listen to the show, um, so I like to think of it as sort of folk burials, that we can do this together, friends and neighbors, as you say, they call it in other places, um, which I love. I love that idea that friends and neighbors mm-hmm. um, can do this for each other. So I'm wondering if you've had experience with caring at home for a person that you love after they've died. Hmm. I have. Um, I just uh, been on a holiday and I had come back and and at the time I was like, why am I into this death and dying stuff? Maybe I could do something more fun. But um the day after I got back from this amazing three-month trip, my nephew died. He was 20, okay, it wasn't that long ago. This was three years ago. He's 25 years old. He's, he's driving home from the University of Victoria to where his, his parents, my sister and her husband, live in Comox. And a, a woman driving northbound crosses the grassy median and hits the van head on so just such a such a random random um, accident and the woman and Trevor my nephew both died instantly Trevor had been born at home in the family home so after his death uh, my sister and her husband just really needed that body to come back to the home His body was laid out on his bed in his bedroom, and that bedroom uh, became a a sacred space. I mean, the rest of the house was in chaos. People were coming and going. It was just such a shock. People brought meals, um, you know, just were expressing their, their shock. But in that room, there was this this quietness. His mother would uh, brought books that he had enjoyed as a as a boy, and these were read aloud. I remember his sister um, just laying with him on the bed, weeping. We all wept, um, but there were times of laughter too. His dad um, brought the guitar into the bedroom and would would play music. Um, it was a terrible time. It was also a beautiful time. Meanwhile, in the garage, his, his casket was being built. Um, someone brought wood and, and um, yeah, a box was being built. So somebody brought a wood engraving kit and words and pictures started being engraved on that box and on the lid. People would wrote messages the body was in the home for for six days, as it turned out. Um, it it wasn't meant to be that long, but he died just before a long weekend. Nothing could really progress until the weekend was over because we asked for a witness cremation, which meant we wanted to accompany the body right to the very end in the crematorium. Um, it had to be scheduled, and it turned out six days was the right amount of time for for the family, for all of us. 
it was really, really hard. And I, I just don't think when a 25-year-old um, dearly loved young man dies that there's any easy way through this. But, uh, but it was real and it was honest. And we did it with one another. I, I just don't know how we could have processed it as, as well or as, I don't know how there could have been more grace, as much grace if, if a funeral home had just taken all the tasks on and, and done it for us. It would have just felt like such a, a disconnect. So after that experience with my nephew, I was more motivated than ever to to keep my hand to the plow and to keep continuing to let others know that uh, this is possible, that when someone dies, that we can do things ourselves and that there is benefit in, in doing those tasks ourselves. Thank you for sharing that always. Uh cry along with the <laughs> with the family of the time when I um, hear that story um, which I got to hear before uh, at a folk you in person when you um, shared about it and so I I mean when I hear about this and I think about deaths that I have been there for and I had a number of early deaths in my life that I experienced I wish th- for this for for um for myself for my future for those people who want it uh who are our neighbors here so and i know that you've been working now on quadra and on cortez with lots of amazing neighbors who are making these things happen so if someone does experience a death now on quadra or on cortez how do we start to create an experience like that where we get to do it at home to the extent that we want and are able and get someone to help us with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, the place to start um, is certainly well before a death actually happens. It's uh, really hard to imagine alternatives to the status quo when we're involved in a death event. When somebody says to us, you know, don't worry, I'll take care of it all for you. I mean, those words just sound so wonderful that um, I, I think most of us would just say, oh, please and thank you. So, yeah, thinking about it well beforehand, what what you would like, uh, exploring it with your loved ones, what they would like, can be so helpful on Cortez, when we did our workshop this spring, we we were learning how to move a body, how to wash and dress a body, and, and we needed a, a body for this exercise, and I volunteered mine. I had no idea how profound that would be to actually pretend to be dead and to have people tend to my body in the way that I had written down asking them to. I was my body was laid in a in a bed of cedar boughs and salal with song. It was it was really really beautiful. Um, just another thing to share too. I I because I'm talking about our our body. I, I've heard you know people say 
you know, the body, oh, it's just a shell. It doesn't really matter. And I'm pretty sure I've probably said those words myself maybe 10 years ago, just thoughtlessly repeating things that, that I had heard. And then the professional terms that are used, like the words in funeral homes, I, I, I have a hard time even saying this, but what, it's, what they talk about is the disposition of the body. So how will your body be disposed of? Um, this idea that our bodies are, are here to somehow serve us or house us, I, I believe that our bodies are so much more than that, that they have their, their own wisdom, that it's our bodies that are in touch with the natural cycles of life, that, that they know that life is larger than, than ourselves. So... And I think we carry this attitude to our earth as well, that, that somehow it is here to, to serve us. But I believe the earth too has its own wisdom. So I really want to change the way maybe that, or I've changed the way I think about my bodies and I'll offer this to you too, that, that this small piece of earth that's been on loan to me for you know, 60, 70, 80 years, Let's treat both the earth and our bodies, which are also earth, with reverence and with respect, even in death. I know I would like to die at home. I'd like loved ones to be present. I'd like my sisters to, to tend to my body. I don't want it to be in a morgue or in the fridge of a funeral home. Many cultures, I, I think most, and I'm not an expert in this, but they see death as, as a process, not just a, a one-time instantaneous event. I'd like my body to, to lay at home for, for a few days. Um, I seem to like to linger in all the places that I love, so I imagine it would take a while for my spirit to leave my body. And then I would like to give my body back to the earth in a way that, that nourishes it. That, uh... So back to your question. <laughs> Community-led death care. If there is a death event, certainly um, on Cortez, there is a brochure and we're, we're st it's out there, but we're really um, making sure everybody's well-trained so it's not out everywhere in the community. But um, there are people to call, Emma, Aton, Karina, Samantha, myself, and we are the volunteer coordinators. So we would work with the family directly. And if they need help, for example, they're like, you know, I really want to wash and dress my loved one's body, but I, I, I could use some support or I've never done that. I don't know how. The coordinator would then get in touch with a person who has volunteered to uh, tend to a body. And, you know, often it could be a, a retired nurse, uh, somebody who has far more experience with bodies than, than I certainly do. And just having that support and that knowledge can really empower a family to, to take care of their own. 
maybe the family needs help with transportation, maybe with the paperwork. So this is where the volunteers would, would come in and assist the family. On Quadra Island, uh, because COVID um, came at just a, a crucial time, you know, Cortez was able to, we had the workshop on March 14th, which is just under the wire. The workshop on Quadra March 28th did not happen. So now on Quadra, we're in the process of picking up where we left off and uh, seeing if we can also create community-led death care on Quadra Island. So will we get, as things unfold, will we get more um, kind of widely available details? Like I'm imagining it'll be on Tideline. There'll be, we'll open up the little Cortez phone book and the Quadra phone books and there'll be, you know, here's where to call. Um, is that a realistic vision? Not just realistic. It is, it is happening. The Cortez and Quadra little phone books will have, um, or at least on the Cortez side, We'll have the community-led death care, um, Emma, as the uh, as the person to call, and uh, hopefully by next year we'll have that in the Quadra books as well. It's really remarkable how quickly you have uh, helped to birth this um, dream into the community I just feel in awe and so appreciative of it (laughs) thank you Amanda I don't I I I feel like the doctor who maybe um, you know gets the credit for birthing the baby but really there's been so much um, wisdom and and sharing and and especially oh We're just going to turn that off and ignore you if you're calling with a question, but that doesn't mean we'll ignore you forever. You can call back. Especially on Cortez, the examples that I've witnessed of people doing things themselves have been so inspiring to to not just me, but to many. It's really opened our eyes to so much more. And so this, so you talked about how the best way to prepare is to prepare in advance. And I imagine one of the big questions that uh, people need to talk about are cremation versus burial. Um, and so you mentioned well, witness cremation already um, as well. So can you talk a little bit about the uh, economic, environmental um, issues around these two uh, cremation versus burial and or costs I guess too the environmental versus eco- uh, economic costs of these but also the different kinds of of cremation um, I hadn't really thought of kinds of cremation but we're talking about kinds of burial and kinds of cremation so um, can you inform us a little bit more about those things yes there are other places in the world where they're are more um, options becoming available but here in our part of the world you basically choose between cremation conventional burial and um, on quadra right now natural burials and cortez hopefully not too far down the road that will also be an option i used to think that cremation was the most environmentally sensitive approach to um, 
to what happened to my body after I died. But with natural burials, um, that is most definitely the most environmentally sensitive um, way because you are giving your body back to the earth in a way that contributes to new life. With a cremation, it takes a lot of energy to reduce a body to what um, many people refer to as ashes. Uh, it's really cremated remains. It's, it's ground up bone fragments. A lot of toxins go up into the atmosphere. And these cremated remains, which I thought were helpful for this soil, I've since learned are not. They are too alkaline and too salty, and they actually don't benefit new growth. So from an environmental point of view, um, certainly natural burials are the most uh, sensitive way. But having said that, um, you know, there are other values that people have. I mean, if it, if, if it really appeals to a person to, to go into fire and, and to be cremated, um, that's a compelling reason to choose cremation as well. From an economic point of view, um, burials tend to be more expensive, but here on Cortez, here on Quadra, where the cemeteries are run by volunteers, the graveyards are incredibly affordable. So a simple burial, again in a green or natural burial cemetery, is the most economic choice. Uh, conventional burials are probably the same price, but, but then the tombstones can be pricey. However, if a funeral home is involved, then the burials may become more expensive because funeral personnel are, are you know, traveling back and forth with the bodies and that takes time and costs money. So if a funeral home is involved, perhaps a cremation may be still the most economic um, choice. Thank you. Uh, until I met you, I was definitely more of a cremation person, um, but you've really helped change that for myself, particularly when I think about being able to be buried naturally here on the island. Although I still have this dream, <laughs> which I've been told is not legal, and my children are not wanting to take part in anything that's illegal, but of just having my body set on fire and pushed out to to the sea. So um, I, I might not be getting that, but maybe I can at least come to rest um, um, in you know, on, on the island in some relatively natural way. Um, and did you explain what a witnessed cremation was? Thank you, I did not. So a witnessed cremation means you can go into the crematorium with the, with the uh, family member, with your loved one or friend, and watch while the box goes into the chamber, the... Uh, family is invited to actually press the button that starts the process and um, it can be really cathartic to be with that body right to the end 
rather than I remember with my father, he, he had a burial. But we left the graveyard with his casket above the ground. Uh, my father-in-law as well, which seemed really strange, but I guess they wanted to spare the family the, the pain of, you know, dirt actually going on the casket. I, I think in, in sparing real pain, we, we create more long-term pain. So yeah, being with a body right to the burial, right to the cremation chamber, I think can be really, really helpful. All right, and then earlier you talked about ideally if you're going to do um, a community-led death care process that you would be able to plan in advance. If you aren't able to plan in advance because it's a sudden death um, or maybe it's not a sudden death, but you're just not able you know, to, to prepare in advance, or maybe even you're relatively alone, and so it's your own death and you're involved in the act of dying so you don't think to kind of you know reach out beforehand etc can we still um, make use of a community-led death uh, collective in this situation and and then can you well let's start with that yes for sure that's the only ones that we've been involved in so far (laughs) is the ones that just happen and they know about community-led death care or they have some vague idea that it exists and um, and we have been called on to to help with those so just to talk about some of those experiences um, early this spring a widow um, her husband died in the Campbell River Hospital and she wanted him buried on Cortez his body was brought to the home on Cortez where her and um, their son prepared him for, for burial. The, one of her grandsons built a, a casket and one of our community-led um, volunteers was able to provide transportation from the Campbell River Hospital to Cortez and then from the family home on Cortez to the cemetery where he was buried. Another um, man died this summer on Cortez, was buried on Cortez. His body never left the island. Um, We helped a family with their cremation. So they picked up the body from the hospital. And again, um, we helped with the transportation to the crematorium. They were with his body right to the end. And recently on Quadra Island, um, we also, with the help of Quadra potential volunteers, now one person very well trained volunteer, um, helped with the, again, with a cremation. And each one of these families um, is just so grateful that they got to do this in a way that really resonated with them, with the loved one, with what he would have liked. Um, Just he was a bit of a renegade or, yeah, he was kind of the do-it-yourself type. This this really suited him. And the family members who helped were really um, pleased that they could find ways to actually participate, to, to be proactive, not just to be uh, spectators to a, 
uh, process, but that they could be involved in ways that were real and tangible. So it's it's not, um, we're not suggesting that this is an easier way, we're not even suggesting it's a simpler way, but that it, it could be a, a richer way. I, I love it. I think this is a good moment. We are almost at the top of the hour um, for a little bit of music. And also, uh, we have a whole bunch more that we're going to be covering in the second half. Um, but we'd also love to hear from, from you, our listeners. If you have questions for Margaret or later, we'll have Emma Tias also on. Um, or you have questions that they might be able to, if not answer themselves, but find answers for. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. You may email at the letter U at folku.ca. That's F-O-L-K-U dot C-A. So U at folku.ca. Or what we really love is if you call in while the music is happening and we can hear your question. And you don't have to go on air. We just listen to your question and then we repeat it on air and do our best to answer it. And that number is 250-935-0200. So thank you so much for tuning in to CKTZ 89.5 Cortez Community Radio. This is Folk U Radio, and we are with Margaret Verscher in the studio today to discuss community death care and natural burials. So I have got some what hope you'll find is appropriate themed uh, music. And, um, and actually, we start with a poem by David White called News of Death. So we will begin there, and um, and then we have a quite a classic death song. After that, I'll I'll let you guess what it is. I think this is actually playing and it's just so quiet that we can't hear it. So I'm going to um, continue to talk while I also see if I can Last make it. Oh, there it death. goes. Not knowing what I would say. I wanted to say the green wind is running through the fields, making the grass lie flat. I wanted to say the apple blossom flakes like ash covering the orchard wall. I wanted to say, the fish float belly up in the slow stream, stepping stones to the dead. They asked me if I would sleep that night. They asked me if I would sleep that night. I said, I did not know. For this loss, I could not speak. The tongue lay idle in a great darkness. The heart was strangely open. The moon had gone. And it was then when I said, he is no longer here, that the night put its arms around me, and all the white stars turned bitter with grief. Last night they came with news of death. Not knowing what I would say, I wanted to say, the green wind is running through the fields, making the grass lie flat. I wanted to say, the apple blossom flakes like ash covering the orchard wall. I wanted to say, the fish float belly up in the slow stream, stepping stones to the dead. 
They asked if I would sleep that night. I said I did not know. For this loss, I could not speak. The tongue lay idle in a great darkness. The heart was strangely open. The moon had gone. And it was then when I said, He is no longer here, that the night put its arms all around me, and all the white stars turned bitter with grief. it was then when I said he is no longer here he is no longer here and it was then when I said he is no longer here that the night put its arms all around me and all the white stars turned bitter with grief all the white stars turned bitter It's too o'clock.
Welcome back to Folk U Radio on CKTZ 89.5, Cortez Community Radio. We have Margaret Verscher on today to discuss community-based death care or community-led death care and natural burials. And in a little while, we'll also be joined by Emma Tias. Margaret, do you think to put you on the hot seat, you can start by giving a little bit of a synopsis about the terms, what is community-led death care and natural burials, uh, just to, in case people are just now tuning in. In a natural burial cemetery, the uh, burial is, is natural in that the person is buried in a simple box or just a shroud made of biodegradable material like uh, cotton or linen or wool. And they are put into a shallower grave to encourage decomposition. On the grave is maybe planted or somehow the forest is invited to rejuvenate so that um, the body actually nourishes new life. Rather than individual tombstones, there's a communal area to um, commemorate all of the people buried in the natural burial cemetery. This is something that's now possible on Quadra Island, and we're working toward creating this on Cortez Island in both the Mansons and Whaletown cemeteries. Community-led death care. If people want to take on the tasks related to caring for the body of their loved one after, after death, there are a group of volunteers who would... Uh, guide and assist families that want to take on those tasks themselves. Maybe they want to uh, build a box, wash and dress the body themselves, um, have it in the family home, uh, transport it to the cemetery or crematorium themselves. This is where community-led death care can be very helpful. I think that sums up what, what we mean when we say Natural Burial Cemetery, and community-led death care. And can you tell us a little bit more about what motivated you to create a community effort around, around death in this way? Yeah, there's quite a few um, things that, that seem to motivate me. Um, certainly some personal experiences, but... Um, but really, if we are to make death a part of life, I think it starts right here in our homes and in our communities. 
we can't just talk about making death a part of life. We need to um, act on that if it really is to be incorporated into the, the natural cycles of life. And yeah, death does include bodies. And I know that I've grown up with an aversion to death and dead bodies and and my earlier experiences weren't that positive. Uh, Just a little story I'm going to add. I worked in a funeral home for a time and a 101-year-old woman had, had died and her daughter and granddaughter came to the funeral home and she was placed in a box and they spent about two hours making these beautiful bouquets of flowers. They had begged thrifties to give them all the throwaway flowers. And they created ceremony just by um, decorating the casket in such a loving way. We got to hear stories about um, this woman who had died, how she would ride her horse along the beach. Uh, my daughter was going to carry high at the time, and she was on her way to gymnastics. And she, as she often did, just stopped by the funeral home to say hi to mom. I asked if it would be all right if she came and, and saw this, um, this person. And the daughter said, of course, of course, come on in. My daughter and, and the friend that was with her at the time their first sighting of a dead body was this beautiful 101-year-old woman laying in a casket of um, flowers with her daughter explaining how much she loved color and how much she loved wild and that this was their way of honoring her. I think we can create experiences um, for those that we um, are in association with by, by um, bringing death into our homes in a really intentional way, in really beautiful ways. Because death is always a reflection for everyone, a reminder that we are all mortal, that we all share this, this journey of being human, that it's, that it's not an easy road. And if we can see our lives as finite, then perhaps we can see our planet as also finite. If we can live with the end in mind and know that that our lives will end, perhaps we can live them with more intention, with more grace, with, uh, yeah, with more awareness that every moment is precious. It is a gift. Um, Another equally honest answer is, I actually don't really know what motivates me. (laughs) I wonder about that sometimes. I'm like, I think about the various paths that have brought me to this place. And um, I can just say I am indebted to so many people. And so many people have inspired me along the way. This, this movement to bring death back into the stream of life is, is something that's happening in so many different places. And I just feel so privileged to be part of that, uh, that change that, that is happening. I really 
resonate with this idea of trying to bring uh, death back into a community um, in its most kind of vital and essential ways. And I think when I think about one of the reasons that maybe it feels a little scary to be involved with 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 burials, with the end of life of someone, even just really showing up for my neighbors who might have lost someone in a way that I want to, I think it's because I'm afraid of getting something wrong. And, you know, which is really interesting for me because part of the way that I, I work in the world is that I just get a lot of things wrong and mostly I'm able to kind of laugh at it and keep going and that's how I get a lot done is I don't spend too much time being afraid of getting things wrong but somehow with death I haven't been able to fully integrate this other practice this idea that I'm going to practice right like Mm -hmm. as you've kind of gotten me to see with life like I'm going to practice all the time endings and yeah I'm probably going to get it wrong more than I get it right right now and maybe that's okay so can you tell us a little bit about how it actually goes then when you have a community-led death experience of which now there's been a few um, on Cortez where you've gotten to help do things mostly go right? (laughs) Has it it been perfect? And, um, and, and, and how much does it matter when things aren't perfect at the end of someone's, you know, when you're helping with someone with the end of a life? Mm -hmm. I remember when I first uh, worked in a funeral home, I was trying to work in this death and dying field, and that was the only place that I could think of where people actually work with death and dying in a, in a non-medical way. So thanks to my office skills, I, I got a job at a funeral home, and when the phone would ring, I would be like, oh, I can't answer it. You know, somebody might have died, and I might be the first person that they're actually saying, you know, so-and-so died. Um, I I cannot possibly be the person that um, can, I don't know, hold that space for somebody when something just so traumatic has just happened and and it's so raw. And I still have that fear of not being knowing enough or not um, having enough experience, not being the one that can actually be there to to um, be there for somebody else in, in a time when when things are just so big I'm getting better at it and I think that's the only way to to do it is to just keep blundering through until we come to a place where we are more comfortable and this maybe is where we are more death illiterate grief illiterate we're we're just trying to figure it out all of us and the worst thing to do from what i've heard is to avoid people can really feel that so so yeah we may say the wrong thing um and there have been you know very wrong things said but mostly just to be there to show up to witness somebody's grief is a huge gift that we can give them. And it's, it's not easy to be a witness of something 
that traumatic for somebody. But to know that just our presence alone, our, our listening, our being there can be incredibly helpful. As far as community-led death care, this is new territory. And we, you know, I, I say our volunteers are trained. Well, we're, we're trained to the most knowledge that any one of us in the group has to share but that only takes us to a certain place. So mostly we're, we're learning as we go along and every single situation is unique. And I won't say that things went badly, but I will say things have gone differently than we expected in some cases. And, and feeling very grateful to the families that we've helped for being so, so flexible and, and gracious and for learning with us. Can are you can you share any examples of of what 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 does different look like? <laughs> yes, um, when with one of the uh, cremations we helped a family with, when we went to pick up the body from the hospital, I had this idea that uh, the morgue, the people in the morgue, would use their mechanical lift to lift the body, you know, out of the morgue and place it into the, into the box, and that we could simply wheel the box to the waiting vehicle and transfer it. What we learned uh, then and there was that the mechanical lift is not available unless the person uh, is licensed. So, you know, funeral homes would be licensed. Families are, are not licensed. So we had this very heavy body that um, needed to get transferred manually or with muscle power from the gurney onto the stretcher, in the box on the stretcher, and, and that was unexpected. And now we know that when we tell families that, that yes, you can pick up a body from the hospital, uh, make sure you have enough people with you that have enough strength to be able to move the body. So that was that was a, a big learning, and uh, thankfully it, it went all right, but um, that could have gone sideways. We had another situation where we got to learn that doing paperwork correctly the first time is a whole lot easier than trying to um, deal with it later. So... And I think we're just going to keep learning and we're going to keep making mistakes. And that's just, um, we're pioneers. We're, we're venturing into new territory here. So it's, yeah, a lot of, a lot of uh, risk-taking and courage for all involved, not just the families, but for each of us volunteers as well. I'm imagining the future, uh, the future advertisement in Campbell River. That's like, you know, one hour work, <laughs> strong backs needed to lift <laughs> dead bodies, you know, from gurney to stretcher or stretcher to gurney or however it goes. So, um, you know, this will be the post-COVID advertisements. Just another example of Cortez and Quadra being a little different um, so at least we'll we'll have some moments of humor for those who read the classifieds 
Um, so are there other um, examples or things you can talk about about how the community-led death care experience goes, or is this a good time to get bring Emma in here and talk a little bit about her role? Yeah, let's let's bring in Emma because she's a wonderful volunteer. I'm just thinking of a couple things I, I really want to say before um, <laughs> <laughs> as I'm thinking back in the conversation. So the, the person in charge of what happens to a body after uh, after you die is your executor. So they're the ones that have the authority to make decisions. Also, I want to say that funeral homes do have a very important role, and and they're here for very good reasons, and and many of them are, are incredibly helpful. I'm also saying at the same time that doing things yourself can also be incredibly helpful. So um, so so not to um say funeral homes don't have their place they certainly do as do we can i ask you a couple more questions about the executor role if you haven't named an executor um in your will then who is your executor there is a list. I don't know it off the top of my head, but if you're if you're married or in a common law relationship, it, it would be your your common law or your spouse. Then I believe it's your old your child and parents. I'm not entirely sure on the order, but really, when it comes down to it, it's often the person who steps up to the plate and says, "I I will deal with this." And if you are listening to the show and maybe you don't have someone in your life that you feel like would be equipped for that role, is that something that people could call the community-led death care uh, collective and ask for support around? That's a, that's a good question, Manda, because as we know, the executive of a will does so much more than then decide uh, or make authorize what happens to the body after after death that's probably the the least known role of an executor i'm pretty sure you could ask community led death care to step up as the people who know what you want after a death and make sure your executor is comfortable with that and knows that uh, these people are available and that there is a plan in place and that you you want it. Because then I, I believe that any executor that you've chosen that you trust will um, be really happy to honor those wishes. That's, uh, thank you. So we're going to take a moment to have uh, a little bit of music. We're going to have Margaret back, assuming our timing goes well, just to, to end the show. So there will be also, once again, anytime you hear music on Folky Radio, it means you are allowed to call in to get your last minute questions answered at 250-935-0200. This is Folky Radio on CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio, and we are learning about community-led death care and natural burials and what that means. And we have had Margaret Verscher, and we're about to have Emma Tias join us. 
um, and to help that transition, because uh, <laughs> we have to do everything COVID safe here, we are going to have a little music. Hopefully I can get it louder than last time. The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll by Bob Dylan. With a cane that he twirled around his diamond ring fingers At a Baltimore hotel society gathering And the cops was called in And his weapon took from him As they rode him in custody Down to the station And booked Williams and Zinger For first degree murder But you who Philosophize disgrace and criticize all fears. Take the rag away from your face. Now ain't the time for your tears. Williams and Zinger, who had 24 years, owns a tobacco farm of 600 acres. With rich, wealthy parents who provide and protect him In high office relations in the politics of Maryland Reacting to his deed with a shrug of his shoulders And swear words and sneering in his tongue it was a snarling And in a matter of minutes on bail was out walking but you who philosophize disgrace and criticize fears Take the rag away from your face Now ain't the time for your tears Hattie Carroll was made in the kitchen she was 51 years old and gave birth to 10 children Who carried the dishes and took out the garbage And never sat once at the head of the table And didn't even talk to the people at the table Who just cleaned up all the food from the table and emptied the ashtrays on a whole other level Got killed by a blow, lay slain by a king That sailed through the air and came down through the room Doomed and determined to destroy all the gentle And she never done nothing to Williams and Zinger And you Philosophize disgrace and criticize all fears. Take the rag away from your face. Now ain't the time for your tears.
honor The judge pounded his gavel To show that all's equal And that the courts are on the level And that the strings in the books Ain't pulled and persuaded And that even the nobles get properly handled Once that the cops have chased after and caught him And that the ladder of law has no top and no bottom Stared at the person who killed for no reason Who just happened to be feeling that way without warning And he spoke through his cloak most deep and distinguished And handed out strongly for penalty and repentance Williams and Zanger with a six-month sentence Ah, but you who philosophize disgrace And criticize all fears Now's the time for your tears You are listening to CKTZ Cortez Community Radio 89.5 FM This is Folk U Radio And we are talking about community-led death care and natural burials today we have had Margaret Vercheron, and now we are joined by Emma T.S. Thank you so much, Emma, for being here. Thanks for having me, Amanda. It's great to be here. Because this is radio, people can't see uh, you, but you are younger and, um, and <laughs> about my age, so very young, very young. Uh, <laughs> so I'm wondering what led you at this point point in your life where many people are, you know, in the kind of family, career, self stage, what led you to be thinking about getting involved in helping others with the end of their lives? I feel like there's really a lot of ways that I could answer this question and um, so many motivations. Um, generally just really believing in things like community-led death care and what you're doing with Folk University, bringing um, people together, building personal and collective resilience and and capacity is so important to me. And I think um, working together, learning together, teaching each other is really strengthening and building bonds in our community and within ourselves. So that uh, alone really attracts me. I have personally had a lot of experience with death and dying both within my uh, family and personal world and professional life. And um, my experiences with it have been varied, but consistently I see that the more people come together in support of each other in these situations, the more powerful and positive. And like Margaret said, the more honest the experience can be. About six years ago, I was responsible for the full-time care of both my grandparents um, in my family home for the last eight months of their lives. And they both had quite advanced dementia at the time. Um, It was an immensely difficult 
and exhausting experience for me and an enormous responsibility to carry. My family was in a great deal of conflict and I had really very little support through that experience. I felt very alone um, and it was, uh, I would say like a very traumatizing, exhausting, physically exhausting, emotionally difficult time for me that I am still recovering from. Um, and since that experience, I really became profoundly aware of uh, the, the need and value to have uh, the support and like accesses to resources, ac sorry, access to resources, but as um, even more importantly, just like a support network and people available to help guide us through these really difficult and for many of us really unknown territories um, and when I first heard Margaret speak about what she was doing and her vision and passion behind the community-led death care I was really keen to become involved and it has proved to be a really fulfilling and um, moving way to be involved in community. One of the things that I, I think is uh, so interesting, but also terrorizing or terrifying, I guess, about the death process is this weird blend um, of kind of massive emotional, uh, spiritual, um, even physical turmoil, um, like the, the, the kind of huge heaviness, all the things that death is blended with all this bureaucracy uh, <laughs> and, you know and the like and you have to do things right and you've checked the wrong form and then you're stuck in a in a, a cycle that you can never get out of I have people who are still a year after you know the person that they're kind of the executive for dies still dealing with the bureaucratic aspects so I I feel really um, intimidated by that can you talk a little bit about uh, what you're hoping or how you kind of been able to approach dealing with with that fine line in a community-led way? Sure, I can attempt to answer that question. <laughs> these, um, these really messy questions <laughs> that... Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, it's not... Um, it's not glamorous work doing the paperwork and the documentation Um and with in my family situation that I was just speaking of, um, I believe it's now six years later, we are still, in fact, um, trying to close that for our family. And um, the execution of the will is still not completely settled or um, behind us. And that like ongoing and lingering challenge really is... Uh, aware and it, it makes it difficult to move forward in our lives. So um, in my role here, Margaret mentioned I was uh, volunteering as a coordinator role and at this point I'm still learning what that even really means and how to fulfill that role with as much grace as well as practical knowledge as I can bring to it. Um, but up to this point I have been helping quite a bit with documentation and paperwork for um, various families on the island here. And um, it's a really 
concrete and tangible way that as volunteers we can step in in service and provide support um, in all the situations I've been involved with. I haven't actually known the individual that died personally, um, but through the process of gathering their information and filling out all the necessary forms and navigating the vital statistics and the, all those different sort of bureaucratic systems that we have to work with, uh, it's been a surprisingly intimate and really beautiful experience where I feel like I've come to know this individual um, after their life in a really touching and deep way and and it's been really moving to be given the trust of um, families or friends who are trying to navigate this really tender and so difficult vulnerable time to be given their trust is such a profound gift and an honor to be able to um, do something as wicked as paperwork How do you deal with that fear of of saying the wrong thing or um, not, you know, or, or not knowing what to do or how to best be there for someone who is in such a vulnerable place? It certainly is um, scary and intimidating to to be entering into um, a situation where people are really suffering in some way or struggling or grieving deeply um, and and we're not professionals and we are all just doing our best and learning as we go. Like Margaret said, um, there's so much to learn and, and I think it's scary not wanting to make make a mistake or do anything that might be harmful or foolish or hurtful to anybody or, you know, make an error with the paperwork and hold things up. Um, but just recognizing that we are here as volunteers and working, you know, with the our best intention um, and in the most, just showing up in the most heart-centered way that we can. Um, recognizing that we're we, like Margaret said also it's a sort of a DIY kind of thing we're just learning how to do it ourselves the best we can and sometimes sort of fumbling along but we're in it together and I think there's just so much strength and connection in and beauty in that process together I remember early on um and it was in a creator circle meeting uh you Emma talking about uh, in a community where you'd once lived where they had this superheroes hotline and in the hotline would sort of go to someone's phone and when they were called they would show up in the community to be a superhero maybe help with something simple or um, or be a ear for someone who needed it or and you know strong arm or etc and I you know, and, you know, of course I was like, how do we get this on Cortez? Um, and what I think is amazing is that this feels like that. Um, it feels like you guys have in such a short period of time, um, really since like June, uh, created something that there's a place that, you know, there's a number that people can call. There's people out there who will show up to help with this major part of life. 
uh, in some way. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more specifically about people who might be listening and what their situations might be that could call you. If someone's at home right now and are like, oh no, I like, you know, I'm caring for my older grandparent, right? And I think we're going to end up there, but I don't know when, and is it too early? And I don't know, can they call you if they're, um, if they're, uh, thinking about their own death and preparing, um, if someone's already died and they're like, you know, who can call you? Um, what's the ideal or even not ideal situation that someone might think, pick up the phone? Well, I don't think there is any, um, right or wrong phone call. Um, and like I said, we're all just learning volunteers. So we're going to do our best with whatever calls we receive to offer um, a listening ear and compassion and care and what the best guidance that we can. Um, we do have a website with a considerable amount of information that people can reference. And I think that's a really great place to start um, if you have questions or are trying to understand how to navigate this process or even just to like what what you might want to be thinking about, what next there are, um, there's just so much information that exists there as a starting place. Um, are you going to tell us the website? <laughs> and that is a surprise. <laughs> um, Margaret's going to tell you. Margaret's going to tell us the website <laughs> later. <laughs> Yes. Um, but that's a good place to start. Of course, if if anyone is feeling like they need support in any of those scenarios that you mentioned, um, we're going to do our best to to guide and support however we can. Um, there are also a number of trainings coming up in the new year that um, will be offered by Margaret and myself and other individuals, Aton, um, there's going to be some advanced care planning workshops. So not only are we uh, learning and growing as volunteers, we're offering sort of education and information for any community members that are interested in various topics surrounding death and dying and preparing for, for death in our lives. And I think also just like reflecting on our own wishes, values, um, what feels important to us and really consider those deeply. Um, it's something that I hadn't ever really considered for myself personally until taking part in a workshop with Margaret um, in the spring and she encouraged us all. She first shared her own wishes um, leading up to death and at the time of death, and then had us reflect on on our um, hopes and wishes around that, and then share with each other. And to consider that so deeply for myself was a really a uh, quite moving and profound experience, and has led to um, further sharing with my family that hadn't previously been a like we hadn't been able to really um, break into those conversations. And it just opened something up and allowed us to speak more candidly and honestly with each other and just to have more clarity within ourselves. So I think that, too, is um, some something that we can each do 
ourselves is to just sort of consider and reflect on what is important to us and what we might want our own death experience to look like and feel like we have some agency in that. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And, um, and it's a great reminder that others can, that they, everyone listening can start taking control or taking, I guess, as you say, agency can start being part of their own dying now by just thinking and envisioning what that might look like in a in the best possible way thank you so much emma for being here and sharing your experience we're going to have margaret come back on uh, and we're going to have a little bit of music to help with the room transition uh why that happens um we have oh death from oh brother where out thou and you also when you hear this playing you are welcome to call in with any additional questions you want to make sure are answered before the show is over at 250-935-0200 oh, Won't you spare me over till another year? Well, what is this that I can't see with ice cold hands taking hold of me? Well, I am death, none can excel. I'll open the door to heaven or hell. Oh, death, someone would pray. Could you wait to call me another day? The children prayed, the preacher preached, time and mercy is out of your reach. I'll fix your feet till you can't walk, I'll lock your jaw till you can't talk. I'll close your eyes so you can't see this very hour, come and go with me. Death, I come to take the soul, leave the body and leave it cold. To drop the flesh off of the frame, the earth and worm both have a claim. Oh, death, oh, death, won't you spare? me over till another year my mother came to my bed placed a cold towel upon my head my head is warm my feet are cold death is a moving upon my soul oh death how you treating me you're closed my eyes so I can't see. Well, you're hurting my body. You make me cold. You run my life right out of my soul. Oh, death, please consider my age. Please don't take me at this stage. My wealth is all at your command. If you will move your icy hands. Oh, the young, the rich are poor. 
holler like me, you know. No wealth, no land, no silver, no gold. Nothing satisfies me but your soul. Oh, death, oh, death, won't you spare me over till another year? Won't you spare me over till another year? Won't you spare me over till another year? Welcome back to Folk You Radio. Margaret Vershur is back in the studio with us and is going to, now that I've volunteered the community-led death care for absolutely everything, she's going to actually tell us what the scope of the community-led death care um, group is uh, so, <laughs> so that I don't just, you know, continue to volunteer them also to assist at births and who knows what else because, you know, leave it to me. Thank you, Vanda. <laughs> yes, a community-led get death care is from from a, maybe a terminal diagnosis or an expected death event to the burial or cremation. So we're not there to help executors to fulfill all of their obligations in um, how they're going to manage the estate afterward. There are people, there, there's a resource directory, and this is all on the website, which, um, like Emma said, is quite extensive. The website name is communityleddeathcare.ca. And on there, there is a resource um, directory that can show you where to get lumber, for example, to build a box, or who you might call on to help with a celebration of life. So these are resources in the community that you can actually pay to help with some of the tasks related to death and dying that are outside of the scope of community-led death care. I also want to mention just hospice. So I've been a hospice volunteer. Uh, when I lived on Quadra, I, I would go to Campbell River and I had a client on Quadra as well. On Cortez, I mean, apparently we're in the scope of Campbell River Hospice, but in reality, it's, I think we have to create our own kind of hospice care system here for it to be effective. And that is within the scope of community-led death care. So people navigating the emotional um, stretching of being with, with loved ones, and also some of the practical things that need to be done. You can certainly reach out to um, community-led death care. It can be such an, an intense time that um, it's hard to ask for help. But actually, it's, it's often hard to ask for help when we really, really need it. So, so to have that, that courage to ask for help. And there's a number of upcoming events that are happening um, even right now. Uh, when so little is happening. Can you tell us uh, what a few of those are? Yeah, well, yesterday, actually, we had a Zoom session on the paperwork that's required after death. In the new year, we've got a series of workshops. We're not exactly sure how they're going to unfold, but uh, at this point, it seems like it's going to have to be with Zoom about how to care for a body after death, uh, how to... Uh, prepare for end of life 
So, oh, and the emotional support too. That's right. We've got somebody from Campbell River that's going to give that presentation. And we've got other resources to really help all of us as volunteers and as, as human beings to know how to support a person that is navigating a really difficult experience. And and it's not just death, obviously. There's, there's so many um, other experiences that are also intense and difficult that, that are death-related. What comes to mind is, is, you know, getting that terminal diagnosis, but also, you know, divorce, a huge, huge loss that, um, you know, the death of a pet, um, those things can be so huge in a person's life. And, um, and these workshops are designed, some of them, to just help us to be emotionally present for people in those difficult times. So it um, answers one of my questions, which is these that one, it sounds like there's still room for more volunteers to be involved in community led death care. And that even if a person never has the intention of volunteering, that these are still workshops and events that are open for everyone because we're all going to die. You heard it here first. (laughs) So can you speaking of that, can you talk to us a little bit more about things that you've learned about how to prepare oneself for death, maybe in the more kind of esoteric ways. And then I think maybe you even have a poem that you're going to share with us, which I think we might just be able to squeak in. All right. I think immersing ourselves in death and dying in some way is so helpful. So rather than skirting the issue, rather than avoiding it, to, to acknowledge that that we are all human, that we have this common ground, that we are all going to die. I've read a quote somewhere that um, even though people around us are dying, we don't think it's actually going to happen to us. And I know that's true for myself. So to really look death in the eye with courageous honesty, I think that's the first step and be able to say this is going to happen to me and it might be today, it might be tomorrow, not some distant time in the future. And that that's a really um, hard thing to do. There's so much about this world that that I'm very attached to. As far as preparing, of course, there's the practical end of life planning that um, that is important and, and that we will have workshops on, like wills, power of attorney, advanced care planning. Also, just thinking about the relationships that might um, not be as you would want them on your deathbed. Maybe they could be tended to now. Maybe the things that uh, seem so important, if you think about it from the perspective of your deathbed, you might get a different um, different way of being with it. And I think living with the end in mind, yeah, there with this awareness that that life is finite, we we may make different choices, and and in doing that, the thought of death actually sweetens life. So practicing the the art of dying, I think, really helps us to um, also practice the art of living. Just a couple of comments because we're getting close to the end. I, 
So what we've been talking about have been considered alternative approaches. And this could be normal approaches and the other ways that are now the status quo, they could become the alternative approaches. But um, I don't want people to think that the way they've been doing things in the past or the way they want to continue doing them are are wrong. We all make decisions that line up with, with our values and we need to deal with death in ways that line up with with who we are. So it's not about right ways and wrong ways. It's about knowing that this choice exists, knowing what is possible right here in our communities. And that's kind of the goal is is just to have broadened the horizons. Thank you. I really love that, um, that approach and just how it goes along with this idea of to educate ourselves and each other. Part of, I think, true education is removing that little bit of judgment that we even have inside ourselves that tells us, you know, our whispers in our ear that we should do something. And I really struggle with that in my own life. And I think this is a beautiful reminder and yet another way that uh, we can all bring death into into the living which is just to let go of that judgment side that is about what we think we should do or what others should do and allowing instead this proliferation of of possibilities and to see which one is shines a little bit brighter for us so thank you for helping this possibility to shine for us and uh, i think maybe you have a, a last inspiring poem to share Yes, I, I know you mentioned Mary Oliver earlier, and I thought, oh, this is this is such a great poem. So this is, is Mary Oliver, and hopefully I'm saying all her words right. It's called The Summer Day. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean... The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar from my palm. See how she moves her jaws back and forth. See how she gazes around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and slowly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is but I do know how to pay attention, how to kneel down in the grass, how to lay in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I've been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what do you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? poem always ah, really chokes me up thank you so much margaret and thank you mary oliver Uh, Thanks to Margaret and to Emma, both who joined us today to talk a little bit more about community-led death care and natural burial here on Folk U Radio. You've been listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM. 
And I hope you will also tune in next week as Jane Newman from the Cortez Island Museum and Archives shares new stories from the museum and remembrances from Christmas times past. Also, I'm looking for some stories and inspiration for a special Christmas edition of Folk U Radio because we happen to fall on December 25th this year. And I'm just playing around, um, thanks to a little inspiration from Jane from the museum, too, about what special thing we might do on that day. So I'd love to hear from you at you at folku.ca. Thanks for tuning in, neighbor. Think.